0: That will not go in the podcast.
1: No, you're calling Buddhist now.
0: Today is Friday, April 26th, 2019. Time for episode 81 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it's been a while since we did a podcast, and um, it well, of course, we we took a little break for Holy Week and uh, most of Fat Week, uh, Resurrection Week. How was your week of Resurrection?
1: Oh, absolutely wonderful. Um, was able to travel and uh, stay with some friends for a while, um, and it was it was uh it was good. You know, kept kept the uh, kept the Easter celebrations to a. To a a heady but but conservative level, you know. Um. Now, <laughs> back back onto the back onto the old regime of, of getting some of these uh, uh sparkly effervescent uh, fermented beverages back out of the the savings account which I carry around on my person with me. So, um, looking back to just getting back in, looking forward to just getting back into the uh more normal schedule
0: now. So, in other words. From three kombuchas a day back down to two, or different effervescent liquids, D-
1: different different post Easter celebratory effervescent uh, fermented beverage. Yes.
0: Okay, and of course it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast or at least a full length one, and um, I, I saw something in the in, in the uh, the news today. I, I sent you a link to it. Uh the shrieking harpies of the podcast world unite and scream. And it's a a link in um I think it's the Toronto Star or Vancouver star. The unbearable and excruciating women of podcast facing discriminations for their opinions and voices. And who yes. in the world would not like somebody's voice on a podcast? We're crying out loud. <laughs>
1: I I chuckled heartily when when you sent me that link and I and I read it. Um it it these women are saying what they're saying is that the only reason that nobody listens to their podcast is because uh everybody is misogynistic and hates women's voices because you know they have a high-pitched screechy timber or whatever like that. I find I we have to laugh. We have to laugh. Um it it's it's so I mean, in a certain sense, if you think about it for, for too long, it gets to the point where you realize, oh, this is why our, our culture is going down the drain or one of, one of the many reasons why our culture is going down the drain. But it's just the notion that these women and you see men now doing this too um not w- with regards to screechy voices but just this excuse making and the the lack of self objectivity and self awareness and the incapacity to even ask yourself maybe it's my fault maybe i'm not doing a very good job maybe my podcast is boring and i don't say anything that anyone wants to listen to which it basically goes without saying for for a bunch of feminists which is what these women were or or are they're all just a bunch of feminists and they have their their feminist man hating beat the dead horse i'm a victim blah 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 podcast and of course nobody the name of
0: their podcast is the feminist secret agenda
1: There you go. Yep, exactly. I can't can't imagine. I can't imagine why no one wants to listen to that and why you don't have an audience. And, you know, I've I've encountered this throughout my entire life. People would ask me when I was in the cattle business, you know, and boy, you you, and you must find it really difficult and and men don't take you seriously, and you, there's a glass ceiling. And I would just look back at them and say, absolutely not. I've had no experience of that whatsoever. The only the only time that anything like that ever happened to me in business was, in fact, not dealing with my cattle, you know, my my rancher clients, um, and school attendees. It was when dealing with the corporate eggheads in Chicago, and even then, it was it was very mild, and it was years and years and years ago. Um, you know, I, I, one of the first things. Not one of the first things, but when um, the old timer who trained me was getting ready to, um, we were wrapping up the apprenticeship and it was getting to the point where I was going to go out and start teaching my cattle marketing schools by myself. And I said something to him about the, exactly this question, the notion of um, my personal credibility, et cetera, et cetera. And he just looked at me and he said, that is completely on you if if they don't listen to you it's it's your fault it is your fault if they don't listen to you and the light bulb went on my head and i said that's absolutely correct you know what that's absolutely right it is on me whether or not i have any credibility and and you know not to toot my own horn too much but um, when I would for example do the cattle marketing schools and go and stand at the front of the room first thing at 8 30 in the morning on Friday morning on the first day when we were convening the school um, I think that if the gentleman there present had any doubts about me that I ended them easily within one minute of starting to speak I you you just don't give people a choice to doubt your competence but see that's the whole that's the whole feminization of the culture. There's no, you know, these, everybody gets a participation trophy, everybody gets a gold medal. There is zero capacity for people today to even ask themselves the question, is it me? Am I doing anything wrong? Is the fault mine? There's none of that. It's, it's, they've these people today and they're all adults now i mean you know the millennial generation they're all adults now they have been told by age anyway well, yeah, by age, by age, Um, they have all been told since they were teeny tiny children that basically they're perfect. They can do no wrong. What they want is the highest, best good in this or any other universe. And if the world does not, um, if the world doesn't fall at your feet, then you rage, you rage at the world. There's zero capacity for, for self-examination, at all and so yeah that's just a manifestation these women these feminist women complaining nobody listens to to the podcast that i'm recording because of the timber of my voice um which i take personally by the
0: way as, as I, and we've talked about this before on the podcast that i am a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to audio and um I, when i when i figured out how to do the eq adjustment to your voice I don't sure. know, 50 sure. podcasts ago, you made the comment to me. It's like, wow, I sound normal all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and no, I don't think I got any comments from anybody about saying, hey, Anne sounds more listenable now. But from my ear, I picked it up the whole time. And anybody who was really paying attention to the last four or five podcasts, there has been no EQ added to Anne's voice. We're not using Skype anymore. We're using something that actually sounds a whole lot better because Microsoft's mm-hmm. not tapping it to do real-time transcriptions. But anyway, um, in terms of quality of voice, I don't think that's ever been an issue on the podcast, and it gets back around to what makes podcasts good or not. It's the co- it's the content, and if the content exactly. is good, I don't think you're going to get hung up on either a screechy voice on in the case of a woman or a higher pitch than normal voice in the case of a guy. And for me, so it, well, it, it all depends on it all depends on the content.
1: There's another thing that that article addressed, and we'll be sure to put this um, article link in the show notes. And that is this modern um, habit and tendency. And I'm, oh, I'm noticing men are now starting to talk like this. It's the up talk, the up talk where, um, yes. let, me, let me see if I can do an example of it. This is really hard. Um, I've got my, my Sun Tzu notes in front of me. So let me just see if I can read one of these in, in up talk. Um, Sun Tzu, quote number 10. In the midst of chaos, there's also opportunity that it's that when you inflect up at the end as if you are asking a question, this is becoming absolutely habitual, not just among younger or young adult women uh, today, now with this intense feminization of the culture. Young men are speaking like this, and and some men who are not so young now, men who are you know getting up into their forties, are picking up this habit, and the reason they're doing it is because the the culture is so cacked that it's driving. Telling men you should do anything and everything that you can to be more female, and this up talk thing is something that females have started, have picked up, and it's almost ubiquitous underneath a certain age that women talk like this, and it, it's it's such an interesting thing if you sit and think about it because the essence of the up talk thing is is basically to frame every sentence you speak as a question by the inflection that you put on your voice, which is an intrinsically um, passive submissive thing to do. So a person like me, for example, who, when I speak, I make statements and I inflect the sentence as a statement, my voice inflects downward towards the period, boom, period.
0: Which means you're looking down on people and you're dogmatically inflexible.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, that's also that. <laughs> it's But it's a manifestation of just a, a strength. You believe what you believe. That it's That's the opposite of the modernist creed. The creed of modernism is we don't actually believe what we believe. And so therefore, that's where the uptalk thing comes in. Everything has to be passive. Everything has to be this weird subconscious um, framing framed as a question so that you, you sound passive and you can never actually say anything and actually believe it. Go thinking back. What, what words of our Lord, does this just, this leaps into our minds, let your yes be yes and your no be no and everything else is of the enemy, you know? And so, but that there, there's just a war against that. There's a war against any sort of virility, potency, believing what you actually believe, holding a position, sticking to that position, actually believing your own your own beliefs. And I think that's a lot of what the uptalk thing is. And it's bad enough when women do it. It, it when men do it, it's it's intolerable. I find it completely intolerable
0: well it's a combination both of the generation and also milieu one of the one of the other podcasts to which I listen they make a big point of noticing how people talk and um they were referencing what was the situation recently it was um I, I may think I may remember it as I talk here but they were highlighting the public affairs officer for some police department and and highlighting the way he was talking about something had just happened and then they quoted John Brennan who is a, a lifelong intelligence operative and listening to the cadence of how he talks and it's true among different milieu that that talk amongst themselves different professional groups they tend to talk in a very similar manner so if you're around a lot of computer programmers they tend to t- they the, the ones who actually speak as opposed to looking at their own shoes yeah. they 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 start sentences with the word so and i've heard this referred to as a seattle so millennials do that too so i don't know what it is now but they're they the, the point being that people who are alike tend to speak similarly and in one of the legendary examples of this is uh pilots uh the test pilots in in um in the early days of jet aircraft out at, out at um what is now edwards air force base one of the legendary uh pilots was was chuck yeager And he's Mm -hmm. somebody from the hollers of of West Virginia. And he had this really all shucks kind of voice. And just, it didn't matter what was, you know, the aircraft could could be falling apart around him. And he had, he just had the most calm demeanor. It's like, yeah, I'm encountering a little bit of turbulence up here. Yeah. He lost the wings. But, uh, and, and it was this, this milieu of the, the fighter pilots, the, the, uh, test pilots, they all picked this up. And of course they matriculated out into the, um,
1: commercial pilots the pilot exactly yeah, so, so they all, when they come on and do the announcement they it's i i've often th- thought to myself do they sit these people down these guys these pilots down as part of pilot training school and teach them that hyper relaxed almost slurring yeah this is captain john smith from cockpit we're at thirty-two thousand feet cruising i and sometimes there's they're mumbling so badly you can't even understand what they're saying and there's a there's a genre on youtube now of air traffic control recordings and um it's, it's sometimes interesting especially when there's been a, a plane crash or something like that to go and listen to those and they all do it exactly the same way and boy if I were an air traffic controller or something like that I would yell at these pilots and tell them you need to enunciate I can't understand what you're saying you know speak up um but yeah I didn't realize it came from it came from Yeager back in the day yeah
0: I'm, I'm gonna put this link in the in the show notes uh Tom Wolf's uh i think it's tom wolf uh the the novel the right stuff same Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. same novel on which the 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 um the movie was was written but the novel is far better Mm -hmm. and and um he he goes over the whole the the parlance of chuck yeager and how that spread through the test pilots and across all the pilots and commercial pilots as as a result but um yeah if you were a if you were a, a a a flight controller, though, you'd be used to it. So <laughs> you you wouldn't, you say you'd be upset by it, but you would have been used to it a long time ago. The, yeah. the point being is that is that the milieus, the, there's a certain meeting of the minds. And um, yes, the, the millennials definitely have that up talking thing. It's annoying as all get out. And I'm sure there's some psychological underpinning to it in the same sense that among military people, you tend to be straight to the point, say as few words as possible, and just be blunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I I've been accused of that in the past, so
1: I it's it's my mantra, man. Be say what say what you're gonna say, believe what actually believe what you say, um, be blunt, be forthright, be clear. And if you do that, isn't it interesting, even if you are a woman, and even if you do have a little bit of a screechy voice, um, and, and it, it's absolutely a valid point. It's one of the reasons why I really disliked when I was doing my cattle marketing schools, the live version. Um, I really disliked using a microphone because it does most... Um, um, voice amplification systems do tend to amplify the um, top end the higher end and so it does make uh, it would take a voice like mine and it could put a screechy timber in it certainly um, and if i ever had access to like a little control board i would play with it and i would turn down the treble and turn up the bass just you know for the for the listening comfort of of the people there present that's that's an that's a valid it this is an actual thing there are screechy women and if you have if you're wearing and using a microphone it gets it can get even worse but you know thankfully i was able to project my voice enough that i didn't have to do it i didn't have to use microphones too often there were some of the bigger schools where i was in a big big, hollow ballroom where I just had to. There were too many people there. And, you know, you need to make sure that everyone can hear. That's the most important thing. Uh, But but certainly, it's a valid point that I prefer not to use it. And certainly, everybody prefers to um, not have to sit and listen to a a high-grading um, screechy voice, which that is going to tend towards the female side of things because our voices are higher, der. Uh, but even having said that, um, it, it, ladies, ladies complaining in this in this article, sweetie, it's not your voice, honey. It's what you're saying. It's and it's you. It's you. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants to sit and listen to your your feminist crap for thirty minutes, an hour, however long it is. Nobody's interested. Um, so there you go.
0: Yeah. And in the photo in that article, they're all using $400 Shure SM7B microphones. These are broadcast quality. This is more or less equivalent to what Rush Limbaugh uses for his program. So if, if that stack of gear behind that microphone still can't fix the screech in your voice, it ain't you
1: it's it's not the screech in your voice that's a problem it's that that typical feminist victim um oh it's not my fault there's a glass ceiling everybody's out to get me no no it's just because you're either incompetent or unlikable in the case of uh podcasting you know likability is the issue so yeah uh, but that's par for the course
0: and that's one topic down which gets us to the next one um Oops, somebody did something again, but they knew something in advance this time. Uh, so the Easter worshipers were doing their thing in Sri Lanka, and some other people did something else, but somebody knew something in advance? I'm a little confused. Apparently,
1: uh, apparently, yes. Apparently, that the government of Sri Lanka did, in fact, have all kinds of information that not only was this coming, but it was coming specifically on Easter Sunday and said nothing to no one. Um, gee, I wonder why why that was. I, I wonder if if the government of Sri Lanka is infiltrated by people like this. And I mean, in in terms of Sri Lanka, it isn't even a question of infiltration. Um, I think we'd have to look this up, but it's my impression that um, Islam is a majority uh religion in Sri Lanka. Oh you and walked
0: Christi- right into it. It's nine percent of Sri Lanka, seven percent is Christian slash Catholic, and the vast majority Hindu? is is Hindu. Uh,
1: okay, yeah. It,
0: it's Hindu and what's the other one? They just had this long civil war and it had nothing to do with Christians or Muslims. It was it was um
1: pagan animus pagans or Sikh, not Sikh. Oh
0: crud That's- I I just heard this on a podcast this morning. It's Hindu and something else. <laughs> I should have known this, but no, this whole, there was this whole theory that the reason why Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were being very specific in not saying Muslim and not saying Christian is because they didn't want to accidentally say something else either about the uh, Hindus and what were the Tamil Tigers? who were trained by the U S by the way, but they, they had this long civil war and it was a lot of acts of terrorism. They finally put this to bed about 10 years ago and now they have muslims versus christians and of course the 80% of the country is looking is like the what and the what so
1: yeah yeah exactly well the, i guess yeah there's more there are more muslims than christians but it's still there muslim islam and christianity are still two minorities and cardinal rangeth who is there has come out and said publicly if I if the government would have let me know about this, we would have taken steps up to and including canceling canceling Easter Sunday masses in order to protect people. Uh, but no, the the culture of a submission, B infiltration, C cooperation, you know with all of this, it wins the day again.
0: Um, Hindus and Buddhists, uh, by the way, and radical Buddhists and radical Hindus at that who were blowing each other up for the last, I don't know, 30 years until 10 years ago. That was right. the civil war in Sri Lanka.
1: Okay. All right. There you go. So to, uh, only 9%, but that's enough to just, oh, 9% is, is that's getting, I can't remember what exactly the the levels are. Um, in terms of percentage, when when your um, population reaches X percentage of of Muslims, you can expect X, Y, and Z to start happening in your culture. Nine percent is into that area where, um, yeah, you can expect constant violence like this. And it and at you know ten percent or so is when they start taking over they start physically taking over territory. And you're seeing this already in Europe, especially in France, where there are these no-go zones, where they're putting up signs on the street that say, this is a Sharia, this this area, this zone is, is in Sharia law is enforced here. And, you know, people who do not subscribe to the satanic musloid political system literally cannot walk down the street. They can't enter the zone. They will be completely harassed. Women are obviously in in extreme danger entering into these zones of being raped, and, raped, beaten, whatever. Um, so, yeah, and it's 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 surprisingly low. It's only about ten percent when that crap starts starts happening, and that's what we're seeing here.
0: I tweeted something that um, Barack Obama had said back in the day when we were fighting ISIS over in Syria that the reason why people join ISIS is because they are economically depressed and there's a lack of job opportunities. And apparently the two ringleaders who were the, or the people identified as the ringleaders of the terror attacks in Sri Lanka, they were the sons of millionaires and they, mm-hmm. they and multi-millionaires, I should say. Um, the The father of the, the two kids uh, owned a whole bunch of businesses and the kids were lined up to take over dad's business and be multimillionaires themselves and uh, so the whole idea that they had no job opportunities and no uh, job training. Yeah, I don't think that quite worked there, Barry. And the, no. other, the other thing, too, is that uh, ISIS claimed responsibility for this. And, and uh, it, at least in the Western press in the United States, I don't know about the rest of the world. Uh, part of the idea or part, part of the impression was people were looking at each other and saying, wait a minute, I thought ISIS was dead. I thought nobody I thought I thought we killed ISIS in Syria. How did they get over to Indonesia? So or not Indonesia. That's Barry over to Sri Lanka. So it, it, I don't know if really ISIS had anything to do with that or they claimed credit for it, but...
1: But, well, I mean, what's ISIS? What is ISIS? Any musloid on the surface of the planet who carries out any sort of a jihad action will, will, will say, can claim, oh, this is this is done in the name of ISIS. That's, it's, it's, it isn't ISIS, it isn't this, it isn't that. It's Islam, full stop. It's just Islam and trying one of the the problems with having, well, we've got this group now that we've isolated called ISIS. And we have this other group that we've isolated called Al Al Qaeda or whatever what that's actually doing is it's saying it's feeding the lie and it's a full-blown lie that says that these are just um, radicalized factions of the Islamic political system. And, you know, most most Musloids don't subscribe to this. Um, no, no, it is the Islamic political system intrinsically that is Evil, militaristic, totalitarian, seeks nothing more than complete, um, you know, geographical conquest and submission of popul- populations. This is the hallmark foundation of the Islamic political system. This is like making precisions among, you know, different groups of Nazis and saying, well, you know, he was in the SS and the SS is different. It, it, the other Nazis, just the run of the mill, everyday Nazis, they they were fine. They weren't the problem. It was just the SS. It was just this. It was just that drawing these precisions. And that's, it's something dangerous that we just need to stop doing. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not particularly interested in ISIS, Al Qaeda, any of this, any of these names, my beef and what, what needs to be taken care of is the Islamic political system in total, it is evil. There is nothing good about it. It has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And, and even ab- more above and beyond, I mean, obviously, we say this about any false religion. And again, Islam is not a religion. It's a political system that's masquerading as a religion. Um, but even above and beyond just saying all religions are an error and all all men should be converted to Christ and should should enter his church. Um Islam is a is an especially overtly satanic um a, especially an overtly malignant um, thing, phenomenon, political system. And so yeah, I'm just I'm we just need to stop all this crap of naming these things because I think you hit the nail. I think what you're implying, super nerd and I I think you hit the nail on the head is that it this is kind of serving, The Washington and New World Order machine in trying to just paint this problem as just a few, a few, a very, very, very small relative handful of of people who subscribe to the Islamic political system are also aligned with this fundamentalist, quote unquote, and, and we know that that's one of the key propaganda points. Why? Because that's what anti-Pope Bergoglio is spewing all the time, always raging off against fundamentalists. Well, Christians have fundamentalists too. Everybody has fundamentalists. Blah 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 blah. Um, I wrote a I wrote an article for um, the Remnant years ago, and it was someone. I think it was. Father Dwight Longenecker was going off about the evil of fundamentalism within within the church, within Catholicism. And my rebuttal to this was, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that no one ever attacks mathematicians and engineers and people like that who are fundamentalists? And what does fundamentalism mean? It means that you believe in the base foundational principles of your own religion system whatever it is so um engineers and physicists they actually believe that pi is 3.1415 and they believe that um one is not equal to zero and that one plus one does equal two well
0: to change to change the subject or the context completely fundamentalism i was just listening to this on a podcast about sports that the idea of the some of the most successful sports teams like the New England Patriots and the mm-hmm. Kentucky Wildcats and San Antonio Spurs they train they practice in the fundamentals deep into the season as opposed to taking time off and trying to rest and that's why they're perennial winners.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's only within the con- it's only within the context of of Christianity Catholicism really that that fundamentalism is painted as this horrific sin whereas in every other context fund, fundamentalism is absolutely essential again do you believe what you actually believe only a mad, madman would would openly say no i don't believe in what i actually believe um, but that that is the insanity of the culture so in terms of is islam this political system its fundamentals are murderous 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 to human bodies and murderous to human souls that's why child abuse is so rampant um you know rape etc etc watch my islamic sexuality a survey of evil presentation if you want to have your minds blown every every horrible spiritual thing that you can possibly come up and concoct in your mind is somehow, some way within the Islamic political system ratified, and if it isn't, all you need to do is go find some imam at some mosque because there is no central authority, and get the imam to say whatever it is that that whatever sin it is that you want ratified, just go get some uh, imam to issue a fatwa, and there you go. That the classic example that I give in the Islamic sexuality: a is survey of evil video is uh, necrophilia. Someone in Morocco in 2010 submitted a query to his local imam, literally asking, "Is it okay for me to have sex with the dead body of my wife?" And the answer came back, "Yes, as long as the body's still warm, and and the rigor mortis hasn't set in. There's still flexibility in the body." Literally, that's how far gone this this whole thing and these people are. Find any species of evil. And sin and perversion, and the Islamic political system, by virtue of the way, by virtue of what it is being satanic, and by virtue of the way it's set up without any central authority. Ha, what? The, here's a segue that we could launch off into. Look at what's happening right now with regards to the entire notion of central authority in the Catholic Church. We're watching the fruition of this over a century long freemasonic plot to completely dissolve the central visible head and and point of authority in the catholic church which is of course the papacy instituted by christ as a as a monarchy with su- special supernatural protection precisely so that there would be a central point of authority that people could have recourse to if there are any questions. Not only is there someone to ask, not only is there just a visible authority, there's a visible authority who has supernatural protection from from God Almighty himself with this all laid out in the gospels, in the gospels, not even in the epistles, in the gospels from the mouth of our Lord himself. Central authority, visible authority, is absolutely necessary. Islam is the opposite of that. Every imam is the pope, so you can pay any imam off to say absolutely anything you want him to say. In the same and sense
0: that you could get James Martin to say anything you need him to say.
1: Yes, but it, in a yeah, in a certain sense, that's why um, that's where the papacy comes into it because the pope should be the person that that you know smacks james martin and people like that down so now we've got anti pope bergoglio he's enabling all, all of this obviously pope ben- benedict the 16th has been <laughs> my understatement of the podcast coming right here has been far far too weak and th- this actually uh segues into another point just this past week it was announced that the congregation for the doctrine of the faith the the you know the holy office the dicastery that has the um whose job is <laughs> per- preserving the doctrine of the faith and so forth um it has been announced that this will now be wrapped into and put under a super of evangelization. And it's clear what they're doing. They're saying, okay, all doctrine is now going to be subject to the overarching um, mission of the church, which is evangelization, which is interesting because anti-Pope Bergoglio and his coven Rail and rail and rail against proselytism, which is going out, which is doing the Great Commission, going out and converting people, spreading the faith. Wh- how can you ha- how can you evangelize if nobody's allowed to proselytize, if no one's allowed to spread the faith? And then, what's more, we're going to put all doctrine. So we're going to put the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith under the super dicastery of Uh, of evangelization. And it's obvious what this is. They're just, they're basically eliminating the congregation for the doctrine of the faith and making, making doctrine just completely irrelevant and, and have the ability to sweep away to the side, any doctrinal, um, any doctrinal reality anything like that and say, Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Cause now we're all the, the higher priority is evangelization. And so in the, in the, in service to evangelization, which is, which is the most important thing, doctrine can just be ignored, swept under the rug, denied etc cetera, etc cetera. it's obvious what this is so well, that was a little bit of tangent but well there
0: you go. it's interesting you say that because anybody who has listened to the podcast for more than half an episode knows that you and i don't exactly agree on which bishop and white is the potato at the moment <laughs> the, the pope um i that goes back a ways to the, the whole idea of pope and potato but um I noticed and I commented to somebody on Twitter today that what if this whole notion of super and yes, the, the idea of the papacy as being the the sovereign monarch ruling the church has been under attack since before Vatican II. That was one of the three big errors that Archbishop Lefebvre called out from Vatican mm-hmm. II, the false collegiality that limited the Bishop of Rome as being just another bishop in the church. Yep. Isn't it interesting that we have somebody who is so antithetical to to traditional understanding of of dogma, assume either apparently or really, depending on your point of view, and I don't want to argue that at the moment, assume the papacy and then consolidate power to himself in a way that contradicts Vatican II. And I wondered, what if this is a, a, and, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but we'll find out. In the future, what if God is running straight with crooked lines here and using a tool uh, like Bergoglio to eliminate the administration and the bureaucracy so that when a, an authentic Pope takes the, or a traditional Pope, a reformer <laughs> take, takes, takes the papacy, the bureaucracy is out of the way and we can actually have an authentic reform.
1: It's a, oh, that's an interesting thesis. That's an interesting thesis. And yes, God is very much all about the whole, and the divine providence is all about the writing straight on crooked lines thing. Uh, that's that's an interesting theory. And yes, I think it has validity. Um, but I think you also at the same time, in terms of Bergoglio himself consolidating this power unto himself, um, I think you always have to pull the focus back and look at that long ball game. Look at that that Freemasonic centuries long long ball game, and then even beyond that, look at the Satanic long ball, and say where is this going? If we're looking at this not in terms of just however long Bergoglio's usurpation lasts, but lo- looking at it in terms of the whole project and going forth not just decades, but maybe even centuries i because none of us know how long this mess is going to last um
0: well there's the whole notion that that uh, god granted satan 100 years and that was yeah. that was um made known during the pontificate of leo the 13th not that it started at that point but we, we know for certain and, mm-hmm. and exorcists tell us this with absolute certainty that the satan can only do what god gives him the authority to do and even the agents of satan can only do what mm-hmm. God has authorized. And the irony in so many cases in history is that the most evil of tyrants set up to yeah, perfect yeah. their master stroke just to be cut down in time for ev- all of the administration they put in place for ultimate power for evil suddenly gets turned the other direction. So who knows? It could mm-hmm. it could just as well be the you know, apparent destruction of the church and lead toward the passages in the gospel, which is frightening when you read it. Uh, I think it's in all the Gospels, maybe uh, at least Matthew, where, where Christ makes the comment that when the Son of God returns, will he find faith on the church?
1: Yep. Will if, he find any faith? Yeah.
0: If Francis is in charge for the next 50 years, it, that could be within the next 20 years. So, I don't know. Or yeah. maybe Francis is just such a Peronist, uh power monger that he's going to get everybody out of the way because he wants to have all the power. And just as he's about to drop the hammer and make everything modernist, he drops dead. And an authentic, you know, Pius XIII takes over and straightens it all out. Who knows?
1: Well, it'll, it'll only be Pius XIII if, if uh, Pope Benedict is dead himself or, or validly resigned. I have, to, I have to throw my little one in there. It too. is
0: my fervent hope that, um, that Benedict um, or that Francis outlives Benedict by at least 38 seconds.
1: Why 38? Is that a reference to something?
0: No, it's just, I don't want, I don't want it to be too long. It it settles, it settles all of our disagreements at that point.
1: Well, yes, of course. I, my position is that Benedict is the one and only living Pope. And when he dies, the sea will be vacant. So there wouldn't be any question. You're absolutely right. There would be zero question about whether um, the next conclave convoked would be valid or not, because yeah, if, if the Pope's dead and there's no, there's, Nobody there, um, then yes, and that's the problem with the with the conclave that was convoked in 2013. It it wasn't a conclave, and they, the cardinals had no actual ontological authority to convoke a conclave because the pope is still alive. And that's I mean everything stops. Everything stops right there. That's at the heart of my little my my thesis and my presentation. It's not it's not the fact that, that Bergoglio is what he is what he is, which is an arch heretic and probably apostate, although it depends on what how you define apostate. Because if you still want the structure of the church, which I, I think they clearly do, in, in service they're using this the extant structure of the church essentially as the scaffolding around which They are erecting the anti-church, so they've they've put the scaffolding up. They're taking the real church apart brick by brick and replacing it with the anti-church using this extant scaffolding. So it's a it's an interesting question of whether or not they're actually apostates or whether or not you just have to keep referring to them as arch heretics. Um, They clearly we keep saying, and it's part of the Matthew seventeen twenty intention, um, that Bergoglio repent revert to Catholicism die in a state of grace and eventually achieve the, the beatific vision. Um, I, I, I it's just n- not possible at this point. I don't think to say that Bergoglio is Catholic. I mean, I think he's proved so many times, but then what, what does this, what is this? Is he a heretic? Is he an apostate? Doesn't, does it really matter it, really? It doesn't. And that's the glory of the situation. Um, as, as I see it, that Everything revolves not around Bergoglio. We don't. We don't need to tear this guy apart. We don't need to agonize over what he is or what he isn't. The issue is all of it is the, the legality, and not even, you know, it, it's interesting. I've been I've been chatting with someone uh, recently about how all of this is. It's all about the law, you know, and it goes to the fifth joyful mystery, finding Jesus at the temple. Um, And when our Lord said to to the Blessed Virgin, when she came in and she said, you know, we've been we've been looking for you. We've been worried about you. And his reply to her, which sometimes comes off as a little bit snippy, you know, is, well, where did you think I would be? But about my father's business. And to me, what how that kind of resonates is, is where where should you be looking here where should you be looking to find me so to speak and the answer is in the law it's not in you know some weird postmenopausal woman of the mid 20th century having visions or anything like that you don't need to look at any of that stuff in fact you probably shouldn't with a lot of that um where where you need to look and where you will find our lord and find the truth is in the law look at the law where did you think i would be i would be about my father's business here in the temple look to the code of canon law and that's where where the answer to all of this resides so we don't have to get into super weird and frankly unreliable stuff people i get emails all the time of people sending me you know these weird 20th century mystics and like I, folks I just no Le- leave that to the side that just isn't I-, I don't see much good coming out of that stuff if if something is valid it's it's already been you know ratified by the church um i think in these dark days the divine providence wouldn't be it it would seem to me to be kind of a Kind of a jerky move for the, the divine providence to have us with this with the church with the institutional church in the state that it's in, as infiltrated as it is, with its authority so um so visibly compromised by all these sodomites and all these Freemasons and all these communists and all these heretics that. That we would be have to look to them and their authority ratifying, you know, some some sixty year six, sixty year old Italian woman in the nineteen thirties having hot flashes and and r- running off about, I predict this, I predict that. Th- sorry, that just, you know, speaking from a practical point of view and thinking about just what love is and visibility. Uh, that that just doesn't sound right at all. What well, do we also, have?
0: I was gonna say Go also ahead. think think about the messages at, at Fatima and La Salette and even even um uh, Bernadette Subaru at at at, at um Leward's these weren't necessarily well maybe not Lewards, but uh, definitely La Salette and Fatima. These are the kinds of messages that you would prefer Rome said, no, these aren't authentic. These are just private revelations we're not going to endorse because they're not exactly that happy. No. But in the cases of La Salette and Fatima, we definitely have you know, Rome saying, this is, this is authentic. You Absolutely. Should, you should yep. not rush to endorse these specious visions that are happening. I mean, even, even at Kida, there's questions about whether or not the, the allocutions are authentic and whatnot. And you know what? As somebody who likes to stay alive for the time being, I would be fine with the idea that fire isn't going to rain from the sky in the same way that water came down in the in the time of Noah. So mm-hmm. if, if that part is it was misunderstood in Akita, fine, great. That means just we we have a little bit more time, but we shouldn't be seeking extraordinary visions. And 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 in in that sense, I remember a priest uh, once talking about the idea of um, let's see, Fatima is uh, what's the exact theological term there? Um, private revelation. Private yes. revelation is not required for salvation. No. So Mm-mm. you you can, in good conscience, be a good Catholic, stay in the state of grace, die in the state of grace, and go to heaven and not accept Fatima. Because yeah. there, nothing was said at Fatima, which is essential to your salvation, or stated the other way around, there was nothing revealed at Fatima that if you denied it, you can't go to heaven. Right in most of the revelations of our, or most of the apparitions of our lady, most of her allocutions, she's repeating herself. Repent of sins. Pray. Yes. Pray the rosary. Wear mm-hmm. the scapular. Use the darn things I've been giving you for the last 2,000 years. Darn it. Yep. Yep.
1: Absolutely. She's,
0: she's her, she's our mother and she's going to scold us from time to time. But. Yep. It's, yeah, if you deny it, do so at your own risk, yes, but there's nothing about these elocutions which wasn't contained for our faith that St. John forgot to write in the Gospels and Epistles.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, I I don't think that it's a good idea to be looking at these things. And frankly, now, you know, when anything comes in that says, oh, what's one, for example, Maria Divine Mercy and oh, who's the who's the crazy lady that was having hot flashes? In, which one? In, in uh in flushing meadows in uh uh oh, oh, veronica lucan veronica lucan I mean, oh bayside uh, bayside yes no that stuff just i, d- I don't even look at it I, there's there's really nothing there that i d- i think is of could be of any help and a lot of it is just transparently nutty and wrong
0: go back and uh, read the allocutions of our lady of good success i mean this is the kind of thing mm-hmm. you look in what what our lady said and what the messages were there, you wish these were something that were not approved. Yeah. Because she's talking about the destruction of the faith. She's warning us in advance, Our Lady is. Yes. And these are the kind of things we wish we could say, it's not real, it wasn't approved. But unfortunately, in this case, it was. Yep. Don't be looking for private revelations, darn it, because there is a spirit who's not of the Holy Spirit who will give you more revelations than you want.
1: Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Indeed. And so I would just encourage everybody who's thinking about, you know, the situation with Bergoglio, look to the code of canon law and warts and all what we have and what the church has is the 1983 code of canon law. And yes, there's all kinds of people out there saying, oh, it needs to be, it has this wrong with it. It has that wrong with it. Certainly. But, but that's the code that we have. That's what's in force. Look to that and 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 you know frame your arguments around that and leave all this other you know debating whether or not that prophecy of saint francis of assisi is is genuine or not um certainly debating whether or not the um what's it called the prophecies of of malachi of, in terms of you know he he i guess he named off who all of the popes would be and gave them a little blurb of what their um attribute would be and You know, we're now supposedly coming either, either, I don't understand what exactly the end dynamic is supposed to be, there's supposed to be Peter the Roman and good Pope, bad Pope, end, end of the papacy, all that. You know, just, you don't even need to look at that. This is a juridical issue. This is a juridical question. The papacy is a juridical office. Therefore, don't waste your own time, don't waste everyone else's time. Just look at the law and see what the law says and build your build your argument upon that. Because we do know even with 80, even with the 1983 code, it is a firm foundation upon which to build a truth table, an argument, and ultimately we would hope that authoritative people. Within the church would look at the law and and be able to come come to the conclusion the cor- correct conclusion about what the truth of this situation is. And you're, I, I can assure you that when that happy day comes, if it ever comes, that when whoever it is, Cardinal whoever, calls a press conference and says, "Folks, we have a problem here," he ain't going to be quoting some some mystic or anything like that. The issue is going to be the law law so there you go there's my rant
0: and speaking of the top ends of the church we can now look at the top ends of notre dame cathedral and did you see the artistic rendering of whether or not they're really going to build a glass ceiling on the rebuilding of uh, notre dame
1: no i've not seen that
0: (sighs) no (laughs) i I did see an artistic rendering and, and i think i mentioned on the last podcast they had already had a billion dollars or maybe or euros i forget which it is now Um, Euro, yeah. uh, They've they've had a lot of top-end international architects submit uh, renderings for how they would like to rebuild it. And one of them was all like a glass ceiling, like the um, Orange County Cathedral. And Mm -hmm. it's like, are they trying to make a statement about politics in the church and glass ceilings? Or are they forgetting that the flying buttresses are supposed to be pushing tons of roof in? I mean, that would be an interesting statement, too, if they did that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the the only other thing I've seen is um, a, an architect has said that the spire should be replaced with a minaret in service to the multiculti. And I'm getting a lot of emails from people. And boy, that 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 tiny, tiny little post I made went viral and is still it's still uh, generating traffic around. It's it's a no-brainer, guys. It's an absolute no-brainer. And it, it, of course, they're going to not remake it into a Catholic cathedral. Of course, they want that aspect of it destroyed. They want the holy sacrifice to not be offered. They want that completely removed from it. And beyond that, you mentioned the these so-called donations and pledges that have come in. First of all, in terms of France, I think they get a seventy-five percent tax rebate on all of that. So that's a primary motivation. When you hear about a, a huge company like Louis Vuitton or something like that pledging two hundred million euro, they're one of the primary reasons they're doing that is because they want the they want the tax rebate on that. Um, so don't forget about that. But then in terms of look at the list of people, this, I just don't understand how how people cannot realize this. And I've seen, you know, pieces written in the in the trad Catholic blogosphere say, oh, this is going to be wonderful. Everybody's going to get to work together now for the for next 50 years to rebuild Notre Dame. What are you talking about? Look at this list. Louis Vuitton, one of the most satanic, you know, contemporary fashion groups. Disney. Disney. Hello. Disney is a pedophile cult. Yeah. The group who brought us Britney,
0: Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera and all the other weird, crazy people that came out through the Mickey Mouse Club.
1: And also, you know, all the the boys who came up through that system, who were there as as fodder for pedophiles, who then turned into homosexuals themselves and probably predators themselves. Um, the kid Ben Savage, who was who had the the sitcom Boy Meets World, he was raped as a child and is now, you know tied up in this Hollywood pedophile ring. Um, All of the the little tartlets, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Miley Cyrus, all of those girls were pimped by their parents, usually their mothers, stone cold pimped or just sold, trafficked, but sold to the Disney corporation so that they could become these hyper-sexualized, pedophilic emblems. Look at, Br- remember Britney Spears when she came out in 98 and her first sing- single, and she was only, I think she was only 15. Her first single is her, the music video is her dressed up as a naughty schoolgirl, wearing, you know, thigh high stockings with a micro mini skirt, pigtails, sucking a lollipop. I mean, it's pure, it's driven purely towards uh, the notion of, of pedophilia and so forth. And it's the same thing with Aguilera, this and, and good grief. Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus is interesting because her father starred on her telev- her Disney television show with her playing her father. So her father was presumably on set right there all the time. Billy Ray Cyrus. Achy, breaky heart. Billy Ray, you had one job. You had one job. And that was to keep your baby daughter off the stripper pole. And you couldn't even manage to do that. Miley Cyrus gets is, is a pure product of the Disney system. Hypersexualized. She's been involved in sexual perversion, bisexuality, drug use, occult. I mean, it's just... They're all nuts. Britney Spears is nuts and drifts in and out of mental hospitals. Miley Cyrus is nuts. And, um, you know, I I think she's finally married or boyfriend. How long will that last? Is it an open marriage? I mean, it's just these people are living, breathing train wrecks. And in terms of Cyrus, a lot of her stuff involves the occult, real satanic imagery and so forth. Um, that's that's Disney. That's who's giving money. Think, use your brain. This isn't hard. Look at who's giving these enormous amounts of money, this one billion euro, and then ask yourself, do you honestly believe, do you honestly believe that these people are going to rebuild a cathedral such that the holy and August sacrifice of Calvary can once again be offered within those hallowed hallowed walls is that is that their priority good grief of course it isn't the entire point in why they're giving money is because they're part of this satanic new world order freemasonic mega mega conspiracy if you want a conspiracy here it is Here They're part of this mega conspiracy to destroy Christianity, to eliminate the holy sacrifice, to destroy the church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why they want to go after this thing. That's why they want that building. They want that building because it is an emblem precisely of Holy Mother Church. And if you can transform it into a multi-culti space, um, a mosque, et cetera, et cetera, well, then mission accomplished. And what is the mission? Destroy the church. They're at war with Christ and his holy church. Oh, don't complain. It's a billion dollars. Oh, we'll be able to do so much. Oh, come on. I stand by my initial tweet when I first saw the church was on fire and before before the, the spire even fell. I made a blog, I didn't tweet, I don't have Twitter. I made a blog post, I made a micro blog post that said it's better that the thing burn to ash than become a mosque. And everybody's just falling hook, line and sinker for this. Oh, it didn't burn to ash. Oh, we're gonna get to rebuild it. Oh, it's gonna be wonderful. No, I would just knowing Disney, oh, Apple. Apple is another one who has is, who is donated an enormous amount of money to this. I mean, Disney and Apple what, what what more do you need what more do you need I would rather have this have had the thing burned to ash and be not one stone left upon another than to turn the thing over to Disney and Apple to turn into a a, an, a monument to Freemasonry apostasy and a mosque and that's exactly what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, in the case of Disney, they can't get anyone to go to Disneyland Paris, so I guess maybe they can rebuild Notre Dame and get people to go there. And in the case of Apple, uh, Steve Jobs is dead. Any any credit that could be given to Apple for anything positive, it died with him. So, Tim Cook, whatever.
1: Yeah, what? totally. And it, for those of you who don't know, Tim Cook is the head of Apple and is an open, out-and-proud sodomite. So, you know, again, just... It, it, the, the, the incapacity for people to just see these dynamics, which seems so, I don't want to sound snooty, but they're just so obvious to me. And it just seems like other people are, I don't know. I think there's this, there's a lot of this pathology of how, how do you phrase it? Um, what what's an example oh uh, there you know there's been numerous numerous articles written about notre dame and and the thesis of the articles are uh, is um anyone who's reading anything into this other than the fact that it was an accidental fire is just some Looney Tunes conspiracy theorist, blah, blah, blah. And I you just sit and look at that and you say, have you ever read the Bible? The whole thing, the whole thing is just, you know, warnings about bad things are going to happen. Bad things happen in the physical world. There are wars, things burn down, et cetera, et cetera. And in retrospect, people look back and say, yeah, th- those totally were signs, those were signs. Now it's this whole what's trendy and chic and especially within um, Christianity and and the Catholic milieu is to show how intelligent you are by saying, oh, now, now, come, come. the Notre Dame burning to the ground can't can't possibly be anything except a, a purely random accident and anyone who assigns anything above and beyond that to this is just is just a kook, a fundamentalist even is a is a, fu- is a kooky fundamentalist um and the same thing with the goings-on in the world with the goings-on in the institutional church in the Vatican it's just day after day after day piece after piece piece after piece of these people writing saying anyone who's reading anything into this about this being anything above and beyond what's just been run of the mill history is, is just Unsophisticated, ill-informed. Popes come, popes go. There's good, there's bad. Um, you, if you look at this situation and read anything into it above and beyond that, that it's just run-of-the-mill history playing out, then you're clearly unsophisticated, uneducated. You know, you're a kook, whatever. Uh, no, sorry folks. Our lord specifically says, you know, you can look up at the sky and you can see the weather rolling in If you can look up at the sky and see the weather rolling in How can you not look at the sign, the signs of the times and see these things that are right in front of you? And and not be able to figure any of this out Um, but again, that's the intellectually chic thing is to deny all that. So don't fall for that trap
0: Yeah, um Christ gives all kinds of wisdom throughout the Gospels that I think people have mostly forgotten about because they want to find, I don't know, other teaching for their itching ears.
1: Yep, exactly. And they don't want to hear that anything bad could possibly ever happen to them. And they certainly, certainly don't want to hear that they could ever be held to any sort of account for their sins or that their sins even are sins. I mean, that's that's the the main thing here, I think, because, you know, what these chastisements, like the burning of Notre Dame and so forth, what these things imply, what's, what's standing there, the 800 pound pink gorilla in the room is sin. Chastisement is directly related. It's a direct first order derivative, first level derivative of sin, And if the entire project is to deny that there even is sin, well then of course, by definition, you have to deny that there is any sort of chastisement. And therefore when things start happening, all you can say, the only argument you can make in order to detach this notion from any discussion of sin is that it's just a completely random accident and has no meaning. That's why you see these people making that argument. Um, and I, I'm preaching to the choir here. I don't need to tell the listenership how incredibly dangerous that is.
0: We are definitely church militant engaged in a very active hot war. And that leads into a question that somebody sent a few episodes back. And we just haven't had a chance to get around to it. Mm-hmm. Making the comment about Sun Tzu, who is mm-hmm. the ancient Chinese uh, expert of warfare or philosopher of warfare. And the person asked you know, to what extent do some of the quotes of Sun Tzu apply to the spiritual life? And the example he gave is, quote, the supreme art of war is to subdue, subdue the enemy without fighting, end quote. And, quote, supreme excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting, end quote. I gave a reply to this person and I, I sent, I carbon copied you on that. And I, I the the gist of it was that I think this applies more to actual human armies duking it out than the shadows of the spiritual of the of the powers and dominations that Paul writes about in the in the epistles, St. Paul that is. Um, and and this is something we talked about quite a bit. Um, there is a lot of wisdom in comparing military force of arms and 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 uh, the the church militant. But some of these don't quite correspond, especially when we're talking about trying to break down the enemy who is Satan, because he doesn't exactly have the same weaknesses that humans do.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, there's there is wisdom here, and just because this is a pagan, it it doesn't mean that you shouldn't you shouldn't look at this at all. When you look at Sun Sunzu, you have to ask yourself first and foremost, okay, does this does this axiom apply to? the good guys or does it apply to the bad guys? Like for example, his famous quote, all war is deception. That's, that's clearly applicable to Satan, the demons and all of their minions because he is the father of lies, et cetera, et cetera. But just in terms generally of looking at, you know, pagan sources, sure. You can look at this. Um, The reason, the, the first, the first reason why is because as we know, all truth Comes from the Holy Ghost. All truth comes from the Holy Ghost. That's St. Thomas Aquinas. And then you look, speaking of Thomas, you look at something like the Summa and you look at who Thomas is citing all the time in the Summa and you quickly realize, oh, it isn't just, you know, St. Paul, it's. Um,
0: or St. Ambrose. You know,
1: or, or St. Ambrose, it's it's there's two Muslim scholars, early, early Muslim scholars, um, who were active before the uh the literal endarkenment. There was at the very beginning of the Islamic political system in Milieu, there was a point where there was still some, some room for intellectual activity. And so there are a couple of philosophers who were of who were muzzloid. And I mean, it it would be interesting to be able to go back and talk to these guys and say, you know, do you actually believe any of this Islam nonsense? Are you just you are you just subscribing to this because they know you know that they'll kill you if you you publicly apostatize from it? And
0: and for folks who don't know the historical background on this, the reason why Thomas would have been quoting. Muslims is because it in the early church there were there was the perhaps overreactionary purge of anything pagan and so and that wasn't necessarily a bad thing but they also in, in at the time of doing this got rid of some of the ancient Greek philosophers at the same time so Aristotle Plato a lot of the ancient Greek wisdom was lost at that point to Christendom and it was the Muslims who preserved it, translated it Arabic, it came across through Northern Africa and into Spain. And after the Reconquista of Spain, these writings of, of the of, of the Greek philosophers were then translated to Latin, and that's where Thomas got a hold of the writings of Aristotle and Plato. It was through the Muslims. So when and commentary. When Ann, yes. They would write
1: commentary. Yeah. So when
0: Anne's talking about you know giving giving credit to some of the Muslims, that's the connection back historically through there.
1: It's not, it's not the Muslims are citing and Thomas isn't citing in any way, any Muslim text. He's citing these very, very early Muslim scholars who are commentating on the, the, the Greek guys. So let's see, I've just. Who
0: were later denounced by other Muslim scholars, by the way.
1: Indeed. Indeed. So let's go through, if you just pull up the Wikipedia page of, uh, for on the Summa, Like right at the top, there is a section that says references within the Summa. And one of the things when you start reading and using the Summa, one of the first things you have to do is go down the list because um, Thomas doesn't call them by their proper name. He calls them by a nickname. So the Apostle, when Thomas is talking about the Apostle says, that's Paul. The philosopher is Aristotle. The commentator is Averroes, who is a commentator, a musloid commentator on Aristotle. Um, the master is Peter Lombard. The theologian is St. Augustine. Um, let's see who's another. Um, Tully is Cicero. Peter. Um, Dionysius is pseudo-Dionysius, pseudo the Areopagite. Um, Avicenna, here's another. Avicenna was the other Musloid scholar. Um, and he's... he's uh, polymath and Aristotelian, Neoplatonic, Islamic philosopher. Um,
0: it, it almost reminds me of the translation guide from Windswept House, where you have to go through all the fake names to who the real people are. I should we should find this document and put it out for when when St Thomas refers to all these people by the the um, their preferred pronouns. Well, okay, St Thomas's preferred pronouns. Who he's really referring to?
1: Say that again. I didn't catch that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in, in in the same sense that for windswept house there's that uh translation guide oh
1: yeah 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 the the key he, here's the the key characters yes um except you know obviously the summa isn't a work of fiction in fact in the summa there's even um a rabbi um rabbi moses maimonides was a jewish rabbinical scholar near contemporary of aquinas He died in 1204 before Aquinas and the scholastics derived many insights from his work as he also employed the scholastic method. There you go. So that right there is obviously proof that of course we can, we can engage with non-Christian scholarship, even, even text to some extent, remembering always that all truth is of the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, if the example that you give to prove the point is if, if Adolf Hitler says one plus one equals two well yes that's true you know you don't have to you don't have to deny everything Adolf Hitler says because he's Hitler you have to look at what he says and then if it's true it's true if it's not it's not um, but then but always, Obviously, keeping in the back of your mind the context of who's saying and and so on and so forth. Um, I think that's
0: so, referred to as the Hitler's dog analogy, that Hitler had a dog. Therefore, all people who like dogs must love Hitler.
1: There you go. Yes, <laughs> indeed. That's a good one. So, um, so yeah, we can surely engage. We can engage Sun Tzu. But at the interesting thing, and I found a, a, just a nice little web page that has... 50 most famous Sun Tzu quotes, and we'll put this link up in the show notes, and you can go through these and you can you can pretty clearly I think see with each one. Okay, wait a minute. Is that true? First of all, and most of them actually are. And then beyond that, wait a minute, who who does this apply to? Does this apply to good, the good guys? Or does it apply to evil, the bad guys? Now, in terms of Sun Tzu, he's he's speaking with regards to himself. He's always coming from the from the perspective of himself. So when he says something like "all war is the art of deception," um, he's he's saying that in terms of his own personal tactics. What we have to do is we have to look at that and say, "Okay, is, does that apply to us? Are we the people of the lie? No, we're not." Are are we people who um, do not run to the truth, embrace the truth? Well, of course we should because the truth is Christ himself and the truth will set you free. So see, that's just one way to process it.
0: And when you're saying we, you're talking about church militant as opposed to, say, military forces on earth. Yes. And in terms of all warfare is deception, it reminds me of the first Gulf War where it was the first war waged on live TV. And General Schwarzkopf, to his immense wisdom, gave all of these press conferences about how they were going to attack from the sea and do these amphibious invasions. And even after the Iraqi intelligence was telling um the Iraqi leadership no they're coming around flanking from from the land side they they said no we saw on cnn they're going to take attack through the land and even the seals were putting landing markers on the beach um to signal the uh the marines to come ashore and and uh it was all a massive deception even the press was just irate that they took part in this cnn thought for sure they had cameramen i don't know how they did this they got they had cameramen out on the beach to like film the seals and the marines landing and everything um or they wanted to i I, I may be speaking out of turn there but uh when when they found out that they were actually inadvertently made the uh the message carriers to the iraqi regime to uh to make them think that the evasion was to come from the sea when it actually came through the land yeah, war is the is the, the art of, of uh, deception in that case. And in terms of the specific quote that the emailer said, talking about the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting, that's not necessarily just military arms. That takes in, um, the, the, as the Chinese would say, the entire concept of war. It could be political, economic, it, it as well mm-hmm. as military. Uh, the most successful military is the one you never have to use because— it's like it's like it's like the um, uh, the nuclear arms um, depot that we have. The most successful use of that is to never use it, because mm-hmm. it is a deterrent. That if somebody ever were to do something that we would use our our nuclear arms in, in retaliation, it's mutually assured destruction. Why would you right. ever provoke that to happen unless you had a death wish? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to subdue your enemy without fighting. On the human terms, that makes complete sense. And in in, in terms of human warfare, it's not just direct military combat. It's also economic. It's also political and all the business and intrigue that goes along with that. But in terms of the church militant, we're flesh and blood fighting pure spirits. So it doesn't quite equate the same way.
1: Well, and I would make another argument. See, this is really easy. We could go through this list of Sun Tzu quotes and just, you know, like take three of them and do an entire podcast episode just on delving into and tearing apart three of these quotes. So this one is on this list that I'm gonna, that we're going to put in the show notes. This one, it, it's number six. The supreme art of wars is, is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Now, let me, let me argue the other side of this. Who how does the how is that dynamic playing out in the world today who is is reaping the benefits of that um i would say that it's the enemy and a lot of uh, since especially the notre dame fire um there's a lot of commentary out there of people saying look there the Musloids are winning the the new world order people are winning without even having to fire a shot here it is they are they are winning this earthly war without even actually having to do any you know mass slaughter of human beings in the street or anything like that burn down Notre Dame all right everybody lays down and dies great let's turn it into a mosque they win without they win without firing a shot so you can look at it from that perspective too i would say
0: well it also goes back to what I was saying in terms of total warfare. It's not just, you know, actual clash of arms. It it's mm-hmm. it's uh the psychological war, It's the economic war. And in terms of trying to you know, it, from church militant trying to conquer our enemy, which is really Satan, that we we're not going to get Satan to stand down and uh, give no. up. No. But Satan will try to do the opposite. And in terms of, you know, one one of the great um temptations or traps that, that is try to, trying to be laid right now, at least in the United States, um, anybody who goes to college, graduates with, I don't know, how many hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of debt, and they get out into the workforce to try to try, start paying that off. And now one of the traps is, I don't dare stand up for my morality Or try to do the right thing because I might lose my job and then I won't be able to service my debts or or to keep my possessions. They'll all be repossessed. Mm -hmm. That's not direct clash of arms. That is one of these other ways of of breaking down the enemy to not even fight.
1: Yep, exactly. Exactly. It's economic warfare, clearly. Um, Using... Usury, and it that actually is usury, Um and that's why all of the the prices for quote unquote education, although it's it's contra education, we all know that, why all of these price points for contra education are just going through the absolute roof because you've you've pulled that dynamic into it, and then yeah, these people really are debt slaves, and you hit the nail on the head, the debt slavery isn't just a, a physical dynamic. It is, you are a slave um, ideologically. You have to mar- march in lockstep with the new world order, with this paradigm and it's folks, it's coming hard and fast. Um, this business of people not being able to have bank accounts, this, it's just the very beginning. Um, we keep hearing about people being, being cast as alt-right or whatever, you know that is and we talked about this on i know the last episode or or two episodes ago um this whole debanking deplatforming all of that stuff boy we're at the just the earliest 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 days of this. Um, the Chinese seem to be leading the way on it. It's going to get to the point where if you say anything that the up speaking millennial feminist doesn't, you know, like that, you're not going to be able to have any sort of a bank account or be able to do any economic transactions. I was doing the up talk there. Um, that's, that's what we're staring down the barrel of. And yeah, it falls under that general category header.
0: Um, that was kind of annoying and uh, in terms of um current events, I think we pretty much beat that one to death um <laughs> I, I can't do that more than twice it's just not I know it's it's hard. In my constitution difficult. indeed uh let's see we had a couple more notes here um creepy Uncle Joe is in the race now,
1: oh my goodness uh. Although I, about- I did
0: see that, I did see that he specifically—it uh, wasn't him personally, but somebody on his campaign reached out to Obama and said, "Please don't publicly endorse me."
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, Joe. Um, Joe Biden, what do you say? Um, I wrote a piece long time ago. I should I should do a repost, and it's about plastic surgery. And you say, well, come on now. What does that have to do with Joe Biden? Well, look at the cat. First of all, he was in the late 80s. I think he ran in 88. I think he ran in that Dukakis cycle. And he was very famous for the fact that he got hair plugs. And at the beginning, when he had these hair plugs, it was extremely Uh, It was it was awful to say that it was noticeable is is the understatement of the day. Was it more
0: Uh, obvious than Ron Paul's eyebrow toupees?
1: Yes, it was more obvious than Ron Paul's eyebrow gherkins. Yes, absolutely. Um, It was bad. And then you look at Biden now and he's he's had all kinds of work done on his face. You can see he's had multiple plastic surgeries probably is having Botox injections, whatever. Then you layer on top of that the fact that the guy is clearly pervy and really, really likes being physically intimate with not just women, but also young girls, like really young girls. You all have probably seen, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, you've seen those enormous um, compilations of video clips. And I mean, you're You're looking at a, a compilation of video clips. I think the one of the ones that I saw was over ten minutes long. But each little each little section isn't terribly long. It's just that there's so many examples of this guy, and it's classic narcissistic,, um, you know, acting out. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to invade your physical space. I'm going to do these things. And look, nobody's going to say a word. You're going to let me do it. And in in a lot of the cases, when we're talking about young girls, it's generally in the context of, of somebody's getting sworn into something. And so the family's all there and they're standing there and they take the oath of whatever office they're being sworn into on the Bible. And here are all these little girls standing around. Which, you know, what this implies is that the father, the mother and the father are standing right there. If if creepy Uncle Joe isn't perving on the mother, he's perving on the kids. And then don't don't think for a second that Biden doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And what he's getting off on is the fact that nobody will say anything there. He. They'll let him do this. A, a man will let Joe Biden perv up on his 12-year-old daughter standing a few feet away from him and, and won't say a word. Don't think for a second that that's not what this is about, ultimately, with people like Biden. But the the, the main problem with Biden is the fact that the man is teetering on the precipice of mental retardation and i'm i'm not being completely facetious when i say this he is emblematic of just how these incredibly stupid people just fly straight to the top of national level governance and um lacks the self-awareness you know, and he's, he's into the system. I thought that when the pervy uncle Joe stuff broke, well, it's been a month ago now where that really started coming back up into the press and so forth that, you know, that was the powers that be. I don't think the Clinton, Clintons are running the, the democratic machine anymore. I think it's probably closer, um, hearkening back to, to something that we've, we've talked about here a few months ago, whoever's running like, Alexandria, occasional cortex, whoever her puppet masters are, I would, I would assume at this point that it's not the Clintons anymore, that it's the AOC puppet masters who are really calling the shots. And they wanted to get pervy uncle Joe out of the way because they didn't want his, you know, they didn't want him taking the fundraising away from whoever, you know, their sodomite pet candidate man of the moment is you know
0: but joe so, getting into the into the contest this late that's one of the exact problems that was raised is that he's getting in after everyone has raised or already put out the hat for raising money he's almost too late already
1: well it says that he's he's bringing he's bringing money in the other thing is he's he's old i think he's 77 or 78 yeah or would he makes
0: he, trump look young
1: Yeah, exactly. So he's 77 or 78 now, which means, um, you know, swearing in date of all this would be January of 2021. Guy would be flirting with 80 when he was taking office Um, again. But I, I think it's I Biden is stupid enough that he thinks that he should be president and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I do think that he's dumb enough to believe that. Um, but you know, they're all, they're also in it for the money. It's not, and you know, this is, goes back to my whole kayfabe thing of 2016 when the Trump thing was happening. And, you know, look at the bigger picture here. You run for president. You, if, if you, if you are the nominee. It looks like this cycle is going to be closer to two billion than one billion in terms of what fundraising will be for, you know, a presidential cycle. Each presidential cycle, that amount of money, the stakes, the balance sheet on all this just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you mean now, two hundred
0: thousand dollars that the Russians have to spend on Facebook ads to tip the election.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well, it's those those tricksy Russians. <laughs> so they're in it for the money. Um, Biden it, it also has to be mentioned Biden is wildly corrupt go back and look at the crap that he and his sons were doing in the ukraine um all kinds of just absolutely blatant blatant corruption um in terms of you know selling influence and and conflicts of interest i mean to call it a conflict of interest doesn't even begin to to go into it that ukraine stuff is awful um, and you know that's that's what they're in it for, and you know just narcissists have to, narcissists have to narc. You know they have to, they have to have that that glory, that sense of elitism. Um, and with someone like Biden, it's just it's especially pathetic, given how how clearly stupid the guy is. Um, how clearly narcissistic, insecure, plastic surgeries, um, all that kind of stuff, and then you you layer on top of that the corruption. I, I don't know. I think I think the powers that be want that that generation completely out of the way. And I think the thesis that that we discussed with regards to that video on the Alexandria Occasional Cortex handlers. I think that's true. I think that they want to move completely away. From this generation of people like the Clintons, Biden, et cetera, et cetera, where the people who are holding the office actually wield some power and authority, I think they want to get it. I think they want to get it to the point where everyone is an AOC level puppet and they just keep rotating these people through the government, through the Congress, through the White House. And the people who, who are there, and I think I, I think history will probably argue that Obama was the first manifestation of this. Obama, same thing. Dumb, uh, you know, drug user, n- not capable of any sort of actual leadership or, or um, authority, any genuine authority pure puppet figurehead. I think that they tasted that for the first time with Obama, realizing that whoever it is, it's out front is essentially irrelevant. Um, what we need are these completely disposable, um, hyper disposable hyper rotatable manchurian candidates that we can put put out front and that's not what biden is biden is of obviously of that previous generation and biden is doing this with the expectation that he would actually wield power and i don't think that's going to fly i don't think the i don't think the handlers are going to tolerate that anymore so look for you know gay mayor or whoever uh, Beto, wh- whoever it is that they want, that they can completely control. Look I think, for
0: that. I don't think Beto's got a chance, uh, in Texas of, of getting a, getting a, a shot at the white house. Not at this point, now that they found the deputies who actually arrested him and said, no, it was definitely a DUI hit and run. But in terms of, you know, you make Biden sound more, uh, corrupt than even the Clintons. And that's quite an achievement.
1: Um, I don't know if he's more corrupt than the Clintons, but he's, I mean, he's in that milieu. He's definitely in that circle. Um, the Ukraine stuff is bad. The Clintons are murderers, obviously. Um, I, I, I don't know if I would call Joe Biden's level of corruption a murderous level of corruption like the Clintons. I don't think he's
0: smart enough bad. for it. He, he's, yeah, he wasn't yeah. a Rhodes Scholar. And, and, and you make the point that he's not really all that smart. And that makes me think about uh, Mayor Pete from that little hamlet in, in uh, Indiana, um, mm-hmm. South Bend. Judge. Uh, uh-huh. I, I was listening to a podcast that was suggesting that this guy might actually fit the profile of a CIA agent. He is, you know, I forget which which U.S. Uh, college you went to, but he was a Rhodes scholar, studied at Oxford. Very smart guy. Comes across more like uh, a combination of, of Bill Clinton and and uh, Barack Obama on his lucid days. And, and the point is, he can form a full sentence, and he's actually sounds smooth. And he's he doesn't have the intersectional thing going for him. He's a white man. Yes, he's gay, but I think he might be being prepped for the next time around. I think they're they're letting they're going to let um, Trump get uh, one more term and then set the precedent that all presidents serve for eight years. But I don't know yeah. what they're what they're achieving with this. Certainly, nothing real is happening. He went with eight-year terms. Yes, there were some bad things that happened with Obama with with uh, the ACA and um, the well, they called Obamacare ACA is the other uh, uh, abbreviation for it. I don't really. Remember what it was that really passed during Obama's term, other than other than the uh, the big stimulus package at the beginning of his presidency. And yeah, there it,
1: really wasn't it, there wasn't much. It was just it was just graft. There were there there was nothing of much substance other than Obamacare.
0: And what and, it, what has really happened under Trump? I mean, I th- I think the the Democrats would be fine with another four years of Trump facing at least a Democratic House where nothing will get done and then they'll hang all of the melees around his neck and get AOC running for president because she'll finally be old enough.
1: Yeah, Indeed. Indeed. Um, I, I agree. It's, and it's a little bit frustrating sometimes to see people going on, people who are still on the rah, rah Trump tribe. And it's like, guys, can you show me what, Where's where's the wall? I mean, where are these? I keep seeing, oh, he's defunded this abortion paradigm. He's defunded that. And then the next the next week, there's a, a headline that pops up that says, oh, you know, this and such abortion provider getting X hundred million or whatever. And like, wait a minute. I thought. I thought the, the propaganda last week that is that Trump was cutting all of this off, but then it really, it never pans out. It's just these flash in the pan talking points that get people all excited, but you're not seeing, you're not seeing anything. The, the horsepower is not getting to the road at all. Um, the, the border is a mess Fort what is the, what's the headline I saw day before yesterday, 1400 illegals per day are just being released into the United States. 1,400 per day. That doesn't sound like any sort of a crackdown to me. It sounds like, you know, it's just the same old, same old. And he's, you know, Trump is in some upstairs room somewhere, holed in there, watching Fox News, watching CNN, watching MSNBC, agonizing about what they're saying over him and saying about him, and then tweeting. I mean, I'm sorry, but red flag alert. And I know that you have a, you have a Twitter handle, super nerd, and you use it to like, announce when podcasts have been recorded and posted and things like that. But I just, may I take this opportunity again, to, um to enjoin all of you, especially, I think there were a lot of people who went off of social media for Lent. Um, You know, st- why don't you just stay off of it? If you could be off of it for Lent, why don't you just carry that through? Why don't you just go ahead and delete delete those social media accounts? I, I can't, I cannot emphasize enough how how much damage I see people doing to themselves. How it's it's consuming their lives. People who are just clearly on a downward spiraling trajectory, and you can tell that the center point of their life is there social media addiction? And damage can be done and there can be inappropriate relationships. You can have inappropriate relationships on social media with people who you have never met before, who are hell on the other side of the planet. And you can still, this social media crap, you can have inappropriate relationships with people that can you know tear apart your family, tear apart your marriage, things like that. Guys, I, I just can't, emphasize this enough. Just look at it. Look at the fruits of it. Look at how bad it is. Look at how bad it causes people to be, how badly it causes people to behave. How people have these, there's almost a Jekyll and Hyde um, sort of dynamic going on with, well, here's how this person is when they're when you're face-to-face with them. And here's how they are when they're on Twitter. And there's that whole Jekyll and Hyde dynamic. It's obvious that this is really, really bad. I can't emphasize this enough. Go back, have genuine human face-to-face personal interactions with people as much as you possibly can. Shun the social media. Um, It's just, and 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 why would you want to support Zuckerberg and Facebook? Why would you want to support Twitter? Which the reason I quit Twitter years ago is when they first started shadow banning and blocking um, anyone who was trying to put out anything conservative. Heck, that must have been in 2014 already. That, it, it, that I, was a I,
0: long time ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I had like 80, I had 8,600 followers, which probably probably means I had 86 actual humans because, you know, those numbers are all inflated too. But I had I had a non-trivial uh, Twitter following and I just saw them doing that and say, why, why would I support this? This has always been something that's been really big for me throughout my life is why should I financially support something which I can see right in front of me is is objectively evil i can see the top of this twitter organization i can see that they're censoring i can see what they're doing to anyone who doesn't tow this hard left palo alto ideological line why in the world would i engage this why would i do business with these people who you associate with matters all the way to the level of economic associations with something like that. Now, I'm not the sort of person who, you know, freaks out, goes to the grocery store, and well, you can't buy anything from any, you can't buy any product that was produced by, and I'm just throwing names out here, huge corporate names of stuff in the grocery store, General Mills, Johnson and Johnson, you know, blah, 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 etc, etc. Um, well, they did this one time, so I can't buy anything. There's a certain point where, I mean, you have to buy food, you know? Um, and so you do your best to, um, support, support local economies and so on and so forth. But also I need to, I need to buy some, some laundry detergent so I can wash my clothes too. So I'm not the sort of person who, um, gets super duper scrupulous about things like that, but in terms of social media this is such a no-brainer to me and the the effects the really bad effects that you see this this paradigm of narcissism having the social media paradigm of narcissism having on people um, and the damage that it's doing to souls there's just there's no way there's no way I would I would beg all of you please just get off of it get off of it walk away.
0: If you don't want to delete your accounts, maybe um, find somebody who's willing to uh, reset your password for you and not give it to you for ninety days, and see how you do.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. See, see if it, uh, see if the if the quality of your life doesn't go up. See if the quality of your prayer life doesn't go up. Um, see if you just don't feel better after 90 days give it a go i think that's great advice super nerd
0: and if somebody actually gets contacted to say um uh reset my passwords and you're not sure how to do that contact me i'll give you all all the information about how to reset passwords and lock somebody out of their accounts
1: cool man that's that's a in fact we might even uh well i don't know that would be it's the the instructions go on and on don't they
0: no, uh, it's well, well, it's not that terribly difficult. I'm not offering to do it myself simply because I have too many other things to do. I don't want to do this service for everyone, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you can, we can put together kind of a little how to, how to, um, what would it be? Facebook, Twitter. What are the other ones that people use? In- Instagram.
0: Oh, I, uh, yeah, that's true. There's Instagram. I, I keep forgetting about that one because I don't do that. That's, mm-hmm. that's more of a millennial thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So t- take us up on that. If, if you want to do it, help us help you. We, we'd be happy to help you with that.
0: Okay. So one of the other emails I definitely wanted to get to, this, this came in about a month and a half ago. We talked about abortion on the podcast and the idea of, well, not the idea, but the fact that babies who are aborted cannot go to heaven. One, somebody who is, is not baptized cannot go to heaven. Right. And one of the questions that was asked by this person was, "Well, what about the babies who are baptized? Uh, there's no certainty that they're going to get to heaven. Why not just commit infanticide after after baptism, and and guarantee they go to heaven?"
1: Right. Um, it it's we're not uh, critiquing by any means the the notion that this question could pop into a thinking person's head sure sure it's it's a logical question but there's also a logical answer um first and foremost you can't um, commit a terrible terrible sin thinking that there will be um, some greater good that comes out of it that's you know baseline, baseline moral moral theology right there, Um, with with the terrible sin, of course, being murdering your own child, obviously. Um, But I think the bigger point that both of us, Super Nerd and I, want to drive home to people is, remember, heaven is not... it's not an equal thing. Um, there, are, there are levels of heaven. The way to think about it is how close you are to God. Um, and so we have a really good example that, that all the listeners of this podcast can relate to, and that is St. Tiny Princess. St. Tiny Princess passed away, um, how old was she, seven months?
0: Just over eight months.
1: Just over eight months, just over eight months old, and of course, never had the opportunity to, and, and ne- never had the ability, and never would have had the ability to make any moral decisions. She could, she could have never chosen to do some arduous good um, in service to God in service to the truth, um, which her parents have the ability to do, all of her siblings so far have the ability to do, they have this ability to choose. And so the way that Super Nerd described it in in the very touching episode in which he he talked about her death was, uh, ideal best case scenario is that Super Nerd's whole family, everybody makes it to heaven. And best case scenario would be that St. Tiny Princess would be actually at the lowest spot of, of the entire family in heaven simply because she never had the opportunity or the ability in her life to to choose the arduous good, uh, to renounce sin, et cetera. So she wasn't capable of sin. And so she would be at the relatively lowest spot in heaven. And then her parents and all of her siblings would be, its stages up above her. And she would not be, she obviously would not be bitter or angry about that. In fact, she would be rejoicing, Everyone in heaven is gonna be 100% on board with everything about heaven, including who's there, who's not there, and where the people that are there are positioned. Every human life, every human being without exception at at the consummation of all things will be a testimony to God's goodness. The people who are saved and are in the beatific vision will be um, a a testament to God's mercy, including people like St. Tiny Princess, who was born in original sin, but was baptized and thus cleansed of original sin. Um, So that's God's mercy, even with a little person like her who could have never committed a personal sin. There was still the sin, the stain of original sin there. So that's a function of God's mercy. The people who do not make it to the beatific vision, the damned, they will be a testament to God's perfect justice. So every human life without exception glorifies God, all of us, one way or the other. Um, and so St. Tiny Princess, let's say um, 150 years in the future when super nerd, super mommy and all of Tiny Princess's siblings are are dead. Um, ideal best case scenario is that Tiny Princess is at the bottom of the heavenly hierarchy and all of her family members are up above her. Um to one extent or another, closer and closer and closer to God, because they all got to live lives and freely choose. And for some of them, you know, if if we want to think about the trajectory that the culture is on, it's absolutely conceivably possible that some of tiny princesses, siblings, relatives, whatever, are, will perhaps be able to choose God, um and and be martyred it's it's possible it's you can't say that that's not possible that's not something that tiny princess could ever do
0: go ahead we definitely have the certainty that there will be the triumph of the immaculate heart of mary at some point and that's going to take some real combat i mean not sun tzu combat spiritual combat and you know for for those who engage in that it's going to be serious business and um Take for a Take take. Think about this for a minute. There are going to be saints of the magnitude we have never seen yet in the church, mm-hmm. who bring about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. What yeah. if they were killed right after being baptized? Think Indeed. back Think yeah. backwards for a minute. We talked about Saint Thomas Aquinas and the, the immense debt that uh, the church owes him. You know the the mm-hmm. the angelic doctor. Think about uh, Saint Vincent Ferrer, the the angel of the apocalypse. Think of Saint Teresa of Avila. Think of Saint Teresa, of the little flowers. Think think of Saint. Um, Anyone whose name starts with saint? What if they were yeah. killed right after being baptized? How much poorer would the church be now as a result?
1: Indeed. Indeed. See, so it's kind of this inability for modern man. Um, modern man wants to oftentimes, you know, hedge their bets and, you know, settle, in a sense, settle. And so, but God isn't willing to settle. Every single one of us, you know, what's the first paragraph of the catechism? Why do I exist? To know, love, and serve God in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. Um, But modern man is just always looking to find the easiest path, it seems to me. And this is, again, the the effeminacy, the sloth, the unwillingness to do the, the arduous good, um, keeps men from thinking about, well, not only do I want to go to heaven, I want to be as close to God as I possibly can be. I want to, I want to keep doing better and better and better and keep, you know, working my way up. Um, I want to make it to the beatific vision first of all, but then I want to maximize. I want to maximize. I want to be the best that I can be. And that's sadly, that's uh, even though, isn't that the motto of, the Marines no, or the army, be, the be army. all, be, all, be all that you can be. Is that, was that the old motto in the eighties? Be all that you can be, be the best that you can be that, that sort of thought. So many people today in this culture, it's just a shoulder shrugging, whatever. If I can just, if I can just get in right under the, under the tape, you know, that, that's good enough for me. I don't, I don't have any aspirations to anything, anything. Anything greater than that? Well, which you know, kind of
0: goes with the army? I mean, the, the Marines were the proud few; they're at the top.
1: That's true. That's true. So, I would I would suggest if you if you want to pray about this, what uh, what mystery of the Rosary would this be? This would be the third glorious mystery pentecost the descent of the holy ghost upon the apostles and mary the fruit of that mystery is love of god and zeal and so you would pray that mystery specifically and ask god to you know build ask god the holy ghost to build up that that proverbial fire inside of your heart you love God so much you want to be as close to him as possible and you want to do everything that you can for him and be the best that you can be while you're here on earth to maximize the beatific vision. And because people don't think in those terms, because they just think uh, of heaven as one big flat plane and everyone is on the same plane, which they're not, um, there's no concept of, of why? Why would you want to risk your child falling into sin? Bad eh, doesn't matter. Just kill him. Yeah, and yeah, this is this is leaping into a lot of people's minds. Don't doubt that, and don't feel bad about it either, because it is a logical question.
0: Well, and it also is a testament to not wanting to sacrifice. I mean, you, if you were to kill your child immediately after, baptized, after baptism, yes, the child would go to heaven, but you're also cheating the child and God of the potential that child could be, but you're also taking the easiest way out. Look at your nearest crucifix Mm -hmm. and look at what, look at the extent that Christ went through for you. He did not have to be strictly speaking crucified to effect the, the salvation of mankind shedding one drop of blood would have been sufficient. The circumcision was, was, would have been sufficient for the salvation of mankind.
1: And remember our Lord's last words on the cross, specifically, um, it is consummated. Sometimes that's mistranslated as it is accomplished. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it is consummated. And that word is used very intentionally, consummated as in nuptial, husband, wife, bride, groom, bride consummation. That is, it, it isn't just... You know, stopping at the the shedding of blood at a circumcision when he was eight days old. It's in a spousal sense, this has to go all the way to complete consummation. And so that's why he he said that. That was, I think that was either the last thing or the second to last thing that he said before he gave up his ghost uh, is it is consummated, completely totally nuptially consummated
0: and there's a painting if i can find a a link to it i'll include it in the note in the in the show notes or put it with the show notes it is the it's a painting called the birth of the church and it's christ on the cross as he is expiring and from his side where uh longinus lanced him Mm -hmm. there is an image of christ coming from the side of Christ, because the mystical body of Christ, the church, is born at that point in time. So Christ coming from the side of Christ, uh, the mystical body coming from the actual body of Christ, it, it's it's, it, it's definitely rich food for thought. And, and um, just the whole idea that God, you know, Christ gave every, he didn't give the bare minimum. No. And, and and I I made I made the analogy in in um two podcasts ago to uh the the opera Turandot of of the uh, Prince Caliph. He's like, I don't want to merely, you know, earn you by right because I answered three questions right. I want you to actually love me. And I'm Indeed. gonna prove this by being willing to give my life for you. And Christ did that for us. Yes. Look at the crucifix. Look at what he went through for you
1: that's such an interesting motif. And I mean, it's beyond a motif. The incomprehensibility of the fact that God, who is infinite, infinite good, infinite beauty, infinite wisdom, infinite truth, infinite power, go on down the line of the divine attributes, infinite, 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 that he that he just so desperately wants us to love him and you know some in terms of human um human psychology and human interactions obviously a a need a need to be loved by others in this fallen world obviously can lead to all, lead to all kinds of problems but remember we're talking about God here so it's it's a completely different set of categories um and you can't think of it think of it as on on human terms this this infinite, infinite being is just desperate, desperate for you to love him. And that, that was the point of the incarnation. Oh, that's the, that's the point of creation. First of all, it's the point of everything that happened up until the incarnation. It's the point of the incarnation. It's the point of the passion. It's the point. It's the point of the resurrection. Just desperate for you, little nothing you to love him. Um, and so you, again, don't don't be tempted to look on this as some sort of a human psychological manifestation of neediness or something like that because that's not what it is. It's just pure infinite charity, pure infinite charity. and because he is perfectly good, he can sit and and in judgment and look at us, and say, you should love me. And you are, if you don't love me, that is a sin. That is that is bad in and of itself. But only he can say that because he's God and he's perfectly perfect and perfectly powerful and perfect charity. So yes, it that's why it is a sin not to love him um, and why we should you know, take take him up on his love, and take him at his word, and <laughs> literally take him at his word, and um, and love him as much and as hard as we can, and furthermore, give our give our children exactly the same opportunity to to love him, and therefore ultimately someday be as close to him as possible.
0: And not only that, if you end up at the judgment seat of God, and He accuses you of not even doing the minimum amount necessary to show your love for him. What possible argument do you have yeah. in your own defense, given what he did for you?
1: Exactly. And we actually know what, what that line is and what the, that minimum is because it's in, it's in the Decalogue. It's keeping the Sabbath holy. It's, just, it's going to mass on Sunday. You, you can't even do that. You can't even do that. That that was so little, and it was that was all I asked of you, and you couldn't even do that. So we actually do know, again, circling back to where we started at the beginning of the podcast, if if you feel shaky on anything, um one of the firmest foundations that we have in in this world, in this earthly in this earthly life, in this veil of tears is in fact the law. It's a guideline of if if you love me, do or don't do these things, depending on how the law is framed. So, you know, don't commit adultery because you're hurting yourself and you're breaking my heart and you're hurting other people and you're breaking my heart. Don't break my heart. Don't, don't do stupid things. Don't commit suicide. Big, big issue right now with euthanasia and all of this. Don't commit suicide.
0: And for the English-speaking world, these are single-syllable commands. Thou shalt not. Yeah. It can't get any simpler, even though God didn't say it in English to begin with, the the mystery and the majesty and the, the awesomeness of God, this translates through to English in simple single-syllable words.
1: Yeah. You can't Indeed.
0: claim ignorance.
1: Yeah don't steal, don't lie. I mean, thou shalt not, that's actually kind of a bit of a floored construction. I, I don't know any Hebrew or ancient Hebrew at all, but it might, it, it's conceivably possible that the, the, the grammar, the syntax of the Decalogue is just very simply, don't, don't lie, don't steal, don't fornicate et cetera, et cetera.
0: You mean the Do construct you, the construct might be mirroring make your make your words be yes, yes and no no and be no, very no. clear.
1: Ah, very good. Very good. Nice, nice recall. Very nice.
0: My pen stopped working. What's going on? Okay. Oh dear. (laughs) Sorry. Weird. Weird weird comments. Yes. Weird comments (laughs) behind the scenes here. I think that's time for the uh, the podcast to wrap up. It's been quite a while since we had a we've had a full podcast and we've gone way past ninety minutes. So, um, uh, we had the topic in the show notes of modesty dressed in warm weather. So women dress modestly and wait for the next podcast because Anne's got a rant about that.
1: We have, uh, we have, oh, both of us have rants, so that'll be a good
0: one. No, you've got a rant. I've just got, um, don't make me send sis, so.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> I was going to
0: say dude by reflex, but it's really sis, so. Indeed. Anyway, um, I have a wrap-up script, if I switch tabs here. Uh, the email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or something about modesty, if you want to precede that for the next for the next podcast, the email address is podcast. At Barnhart.biz, masses for Anne's benefactors. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, every day, and yeah. once a week, we have a. There's a mass for everyone who died the previous week. Um, everybody, uh, and it's not just you know, the monetary uh, benefactors. It's everybody who's praying for Anne, who's helping in any way that would be considered a benefactor. That happens all the time. So please pray for these priests. They definitely need our prayers. And um, you know, without the priests, we don't have a chance of getting to heaven. So, pray for them, please. Indeed. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And it's been ov- almost a month since I've made this um, call out to the donors, so it's, it's, it's a long list this time. So, via PayPal, there was Fred, PMJ, Marianne, Richard, Nora Lee, William, Charles, Susan, Eric, Arthur, Franklin, Jean, and Brian – uh, via via the mailbox there's richard and um in honor of tiny princess uh my shipmate js and i'm just gonna leave it at that he uh, is going to be sending a, a donation for um tiny princess to the sisters who cared for her on the overnights when um uh last year when when um <laughs> when i had been a zombie and and uh, was getting no sleep and and uh, twice that for tiny princess's mom thank you so much and uh that that's we can't thank the sisters enough, even in retrospect, for everything they did for us. So, um, yes, thank you, shipmate JS, and and uh, everyone else who has given donations to that in the past. Um, and Matthew seventeen twenty, I'll let you do that one.
1: Matthew seventeen twenty intention, full fasting twice a week or whatever you can do. The intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and, re- and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And we should append onto that, be as close to God as possible in the beatific vision. And likewise for Pope Benedict Ratzinger, that he repent of what he's done, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision and be as close to God as possible for him as well. So that's the Matthew seventeen twenty intention. Keep praying, folks. Things are happening.
0: Indeed. And until next time, I am Super Nerd,
1: and I am. Thanks, guys. God bless.